0: So I want you to all put your thinking caps on and and uh, just going to ask three questions. Uh, question one: true or false. The Bible says, there is no God. Right there, there is there is no God. <laughs> question two: true or false? The Bible says, "Make for yourself an idol." right there. And question three, take the Lord take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's, it's right there. It's right there. Are those phrases found in the scripture? Yes. Yeah. Is the meaning found in scripture? No. No absolutely not resoundingly not and the the reason that the words are found in in scripture and that i was able to to do that to you is is because they were lifted up out of context see the, the the context of scripture is the setting that those words are found in and you can think about context as as kind of a spiral It it begins with the entire text of Scripture. This morning we're we're looking at Philippians 4. You can can begin turning there if you want. But we, we begin with the entire text of Scripture. And then we move to the New Testament Scriptures. And then we move to the epistles and then the letters of Paul and then to the letter to the Philippians and then to the second part of the letter to the Philippians where Paul deals with more practical matters and finally to the longer passage and then ultimately down to the, the individual phrases and verses that are there. And we can't simply look at an individual phrase or a verse and pull it out of that spiral And make it mean whatever we want. And of course, that's exactly why people take things out of context. Because if I take it out of the context, then I can tell you the Bible says there is no God. And I'm being clever and a little bit silly. And there were a couple of shocked faces. I apologize for that. I wasn't trying to borderline apostatize here. Proper context see, has has no broken lines. There's no there's no missed connections. We can take the meaning of those statements, and and see them threaded throughout the scripture. The meaning of the passage that we're looking at this morning, which is uh, Philippians four ten through thirteen, is is centered in this final statement that Paul makes in the letter, and it's a, a statement of gratitude. And thanks for the financial gift that the Philippians sent him. And it's found in verses 19 through 20. So let's, or I'm sorry, 10 through 19. So let's let's read that. Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that your spirit would open our hearts and open our minds to be able to see and understand and believe what we read Set a watch over my mouth that I would not misstate your truth. And set a watch, Lord, over every pair of ears and every heart that we would not misunderstand. Help us, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. In this, this passage, Paul makes two statements that are very profound and very often misquoted and misused and abused. The the first is found in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The second is found in verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Again, we need to remember that the meaning of Scripture is the Scripture. The Scripture is not simply the words on the page, but the meaning that God conveys through those uh, through those words, and so this week we 're going to look at, at verse thirteen really specifically, and next week we 're going to look at at verse nineteen very specifically and talk about what they actually mean and how the the context of these passages really unfolds them in a wonderful way. Now, as we do that, I just want to see if I can do this in, in two or three minutes. And talk about giving. That's part of the context. That's a significant aspect of what's going on here. We read those words. And I just want to share three things with you about giving. First, God expects his people to give. Galatians chapter 6, 6 6 and verse 6 says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. That would be you and me, strictly speaking. And we understand, of course, that it goes beyond that to the work of the church and the work of pastors and missionaries. The idea of giving is supported throughout the the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. God expects his people to give. Second, uh, God expects his people to give voluntarily. Voluntarily. We're not under an Old Testament economy where there are, are three tithes called for. There's a, a, a priestly tithe that was given to the temple for the support of the temple as basically their version of an income tax. And there was an annual 10%. A lot of people miss this one. Every year as you went to go feast before the Lord at Passover, at Feast of Tabernacles uh, uh, and, and Pentecost and so on, you were to devote 10% of your income To feasting before the Lord with your family and with your friends. Uh, I call that the celebratory tithe. And then every three years, uh, people were to bring into the storehouse 10%. So it amounts to three and a third percent a year. And that was for the Levites, the priests, because they didn't have land and they didn't have businesses. They didn't have income. It was also for widows, for orphans, for the indigent, for the very poor, for people who were transient. That's the Old Testament picture. The New Testament picture is let each one give as he purposes in his heart. So God expects his people to give and to give voluntarily. So no one has sent a bill. You've never received a bill from Community of Believers Church. You never will. No one comes to collect. I, I won't ask, and I have no idea justin does the finances and has at least since i've been here and i think since before that i have no idea who gives what i don't want to know who gives what it's none of my business it's between you and the lord but i know that people forget i know that sometimes a month goes by and maybe six weeks and then you think i forgot to give a tithe check i forgot to give we know that that happens and, and hopefully, you've never ever gotten a letter or a phone call saying, um, where, where is it? God expects his people to give voluntarily. That being said, it doesn't mean that giving is optional according to the Lord. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And so God establishes a principle of giving. Giving and receiving and to simply take and never to share is an abuse of his intention. It's simply not for the church to enforce, it's between each believer and the Lord. And third, giving means supporting the work of the ministry, and it means sharing the load of ministry. So Paul writes in verses 14 and 15, or 15, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, for even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Thessalonica was 75 miles from Philippi. Three or four days, five days walk taking an easy pace at that time. Paul preached in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. Three Sabbaths, strictly speaking, is about two weeks, right? Saturday, Saturday, Saturday has only got two weeks. It could be about four weeks at the very outside. So he'd only been in in Philippi for a few days. He was gone a few days and he's in Thessalonica for... Uh, somewhere between two and four weeks, and they sent a gift at least twice to him. And so they shared in the load of his ministry. When we give to the work of the gospel in the church, we become partners in that work that takes place. Okay, so that's my three or four minutes on giving. Let, let's talk about these verses then. He's clearly talking about uh, giving and what they have given And he's got this really, really loaded verse in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is probably one of the most merchandised verses in the Bible. You'll find it on t-shirts, posters, wall art, I was thinking about this yesterday morning I I was in my office upstairs I went downstairs to make a cup of coffee I reached into the cupboard I grabbed a mug and, and I'm waiting, standing there at my Keurig as the cup of coffee is being made and I look at the coffee cup and what's on the coffee cup I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me it's put on sports uniforms exercise mats purses, bracelets, water bottles art, jewelry socks, phone cases pendants keychains, t-shirts, hats. People have it tattooed on their, bi- on their bodies. Now here's how, how bizarre it gets. Uh, this is a plaque. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but that's not what dominates. What dominates is you've got this. See, now the verse isn't just being quoted, it's being misquoted, it's being misused. This is on a t-shirt. I can do all things. They forgot through him who strengthens me. But it says Philippians 4.13 right there. They're very clearly quoting it. How bad does it have to get when God makes a promise and we cut the promise in half to focus on our own ability? And I love this onesie. I love this, this newborn outfit. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So, not only are they putting it on clothing for a child who can't read, they put it in the King James version. My daughter says it says strengtheneth because strengtheneth because little kids lisp. And I would bet that, in spite of it saying I can do all things, all things doesn't include sleeping through the night. What'd you think? So the gist of the misuse of verse 13 is the assumption that it means that you win in every circumstance. You're going to win. You're a victor. It's really popular among televangelists. It feeds our ego. It feeds our flesh. It makes us feel bold. It makes us feel proud. So athletes quoted as a good luck charm. Tim Tebow had Uh, phil period 413 uh, as his uh, glare anti-glare thing when he was playing dieters quote it to help them lose weight you'll hear it from employees who want a promotion you'll hear it from voters who want a certain measure to pass and we hear it sadly from people suffering from cancer and other terrible diseases as a claim i'm gonna beat this The problem is what happens when the team loses, what happens when the weight stays on, what happens when they they don't beat the cancer or the other conditions. At the very least, people lose their confidence in the Word of God. The Bible can't be true. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and yet I couldn't win this, so I guess the Bible's promises are not true. And at the worst, people lose their confidence in the God of the word, and God himself is seen to be untrustworthy. The problem, of course, is that to misquote Scripture is to play Satan's part in deception. When we rightly understand Scripture, it is God's means of building us and strengthening us and feeding us and nourishing us. Uh, Friday I went to, uh, went to Omaha to take pictures, and, uh, or Lincoln rather, and, and stopped, at, stopped at Costco, and I've got a buddy who's a meat cutter at Costco, and he and I stood there and talked for a few minutes, and I asked what, what good deals they had, and they had ribs. They had, they had pork back ribs, and I love ribs. And so I, I bought a big bundle of pork back ribs, $28 worth of, I, it was a huge, big thing. And I drove, I drove all the way home, and I got home and I put it in the refrigerator, but it's two and a half hours from Lincoln to my house, and I didn't have a cooler. And yesterday afternoon I went and I cut that thing open to go put it on the grill, and, and you could smell that it was gone I didn't keep it cool on the way home. We can take something that's really good and wholesome and wonderful, but if we don't handle it rightly, it can actually become poisonous to us. We can only understand the Word of God in its own context. So, what's the context here? Look at verse 11 with me. Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now there's three groupings of phrases here. Let me point these three groupings out for you. The first grouping is Paul saying in in verse 11, I have learned to be content. He goes on to say, I know how. He says, I also know how. And I have learned the secret. I have learned to be content. I know how. I also know how. I have learned the secret. So the, the first grouping is what Paul has gained, what Paul has learned. What Paul has learned is to be content. Paul learned how to get along. Paul also knew how to, Paul knew how to get along with humble means he also knew how to live in prosperity he says, "I have learned the secret. The learning says there's a process what's not in scripture is, is Just as important as what it is as we're trying to understand it. And we can see that Paul doesn't say not that I speak from want for I am content. But I have learned how to be content. The second grouping that we see is extreme circumstances. Those extreme circumstances are humble means, which is a kind of a euphemistic phrase for extreme poverty and prosperity. Humble means and prosperity, being filled and going hungry. Can I just say, none of us have ever been hungry like they were hungry None of us in the United States have ever been hungry that way. This isn't having worked a long day and not having time to get lunch and coming to the dinner table table famished. This is this is going days with little or nothing at times. And Paul says humble means Prosperity, there's there's an extreme gap. Being filled and going hungry, there's an extreme gap. Uh, having abundance and suffering need. And and so Paul learned under extreme circumstances. Which tells me that this isn't a theoretical learning. I do a lot of theoretical learning. Every time I open a commentary on Scripture and I read what, what the commentator believes the author intends to say or what the language is, that that's all theoretical learning. I haven't actually lived out that myself. When I, when I opened up that sealed you know, eight pounds of pork ribs yesterday and I could smell that fresh roadkill aroma, that was learning by experience. And I had learned by experience, I don't want to eat that. Bad things will very likely happen if I eat that. The third thing that Paul does is is he does this by God's design. He learns under extreme circumstances by God's design. And God's design covers everything in his life. So look at what he says. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance. Whatever circumstance, in any and every circumstance, all things, he says, I can do all things, whatever the circumstance, in any and every circumstance, and by God's design, I can do this through him who strengthens me. So Paul doesn't say I can do all things like that terrible t-shirt said. Paul doesn't even say, I can do all things through Christ, because that kind of says, Jesus is my inspiration, Jesus is my model, and following the example of Jesus and thinking about Jesus, I can do it. It's I can do all things through Him, through Christ, who gives me the strength see the extremes that Paul went through of extreme poverty extreme hung- hunger extreme need to prosperity and having being so full maybe he felt sick and having an absolute abundance that the ability to do that came from God it came from the spirit of God which means God put him in those circumstances humble means going hungry suffering need Prosperity, being filled, having an abundance adds up to whatever circumstance, any and every circumstance, all things. So the common view, the common view is that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me means I can win. The actual scripture says what it means is it doesn't matter if I win. I don't need to win. I can experience extraordinary poverty or mind-boggling wealth or anything in between. And I'm the same person in Christ. I'm the same person in faith. I'm the same person in this world. Because of him who strengthens me as I go through those things. Paul learned because God sovereignly and providentially managed every single circumstance and took him to school on these things. And the lesson that Paul learned is not the coffee cup wall-hanging onesie lesson that you can win, that you can do anything, as the guy used to say on Saturday night live you're good enough you're smart enough and God likes you. The lesson was God is sovereign over every single circumstance of life and provides for and cares for and provides for his children according to his will and his glory. And what he is doing is is usually beyond the scope of our understanding here and now. But we can trust him. Everything that pa- happens to us as God's people, is passed through His hands. There's nothing that gets around Him. There's nothing that is accidental. There is nothing that is random. There is no opposition or harm from others that sneaks past the great shepherd of our souls. Even Satan is limited and bound by the will and the purposes of God. In the life of a Christian, God uses all of those things in a surgical way. And so when when Paul says in verse 12, I have learned the secret, I have to say it's not a very well-kept secret because the secret is the sovereignty and the providence and the care and the love of God. You can rest yourself entirely upon two truths here. The first truth is that God's glory is is supreme in isaiah sixty six eighteen, and you find these verses all through the scripture but this particular verse god says i know their works and their thoughts the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory and he's speaking about the end of time when he has brought all of his plans to fruition and everything that he has done has finally kind of been Pulled together into that single unit that reveals His glory. We can look at individual events, and we do, and fail to see His glory. I can look at individual circumstances in my life and in your lives. And failed to see his glory. It seems like at least once a month I come in and I hear guys talking about somebody here who's in, in the community who's passed away suddenly, some, sometimes very suddenly, sometimes in a very shocking way. And we experience that in Norfolk too. Stephanie Westerhouse, please continue to pray for the Westerhouse family. Stephanie Westerhouse passed away very suddenly on February 8th, shocking everybody. We want to examine individual events and say, where's the glory of God in that? And it's really not until we arrive on the other side and we arrive in heaven and we can look at things from a different perspective that we'll see how all of those things work together. Until then, we can only look at individual components and, and we're often, if not usually, going to fail to understand how they knit together, how they function together the the second truth you can bank on is our good is god's goal romans 8 28 we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose notice what it says we know that god causes all things to work together it doesn't say all things are good and it doesn't say all things just kind of magically work out for the best It says God causes them to work together for our good. In 1991, I suffered a terrible knife wound. It took dozens of staples to close me up. But it wasn't an awful thing. Because it was part of a surgery that saved my life. And if I think about the elements of those surgery, those things that I was aware of before I was taken in and the things I knew that they did to me, it's hard to see any individual element that was actually good. I was wheeled out with an 18-inch scar. They had collapsed one of my lungs in order to get in deeper. I'm missing one rib that they cut out in order to be able to to get access it's hard to look at any of those individual events and say yeah that was good that was good but in the hands of a caring wise skilled doctor all of those things work together For a good purpose. And they saved my life and I'm here today. So Paul says, in essence, if I can kind of put words in his mouth, Paul says, I refuse the temptation to evaluate every single circumstance as though it's the only circumstance. And until I can see how God is working things out for good, I'm not going to try and figure it out for myself. I'm going to trust that he's doing that. And that's his secret. It's not hard to grasp, but it's hard to accept. Because in our, in our fear and in our pride, we want to evaluate and analyze. In our fear, we want to try and make sure. I don't know if I can really trust God in this circumstance or that circumstance, so I'm going to measure it and evaluate it and make sure. And it's hard just to let something take place and say, Lord, I have to trust you with this which is the truth i mean there's almost nothing we can do about what we face anyway there's also the the fact that we rest we rest and we learn what it is to be content when we leave ourselves in his hands and we trust his sovereignty how did paul learn how to trust the sovereignty of god God put Paul into situations that he himself could not control. When Paul says, I have learned, I have learned, I have learned, I have learned the secret, that makes me think that there was a point early on in his faith when he was not learning, when he was kicking. And he finally realized his God had him, and he was going to be... Constantly in in the Lord's care. So if you can commit yourself to trusting the sovereignty of God. If you can trust that the word of God is true. That his promises are true. If you can trust that his power is absolute if you can trust that his mercies are everlasting and his kindness knows no bounds and his love is infinite and eternal and that nothing can separate you from that love, then you can have the kind of contentment that Paul had. You can have it. I can too. And the Lord is committed to teaching us those things. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your love for us and for Your Word. Lord, I believe what Your Scripture says. I can do all things through You who strengthen me. I don't have to win. It doesn't have to work out to my satisfaction every time. I can surrender myself to Your will. Do what You have called me to do trust you as you have called me to trust you and let you worry about the end result and lord in doing that i can be absolutely confident that you will prevail over every painful miserable agonizing circumstance of my life and in in fact lord You frustrate the plans of the world for me because the world means me harm and Satan means me destruction and you use the world and Satan as surgical tools to achieve your good. You are the absolute master of all things. I need your strength as I go through these circumstances of my life. And as I think about the circumstances to come, I need your strength. Without your strength, I can't trust you. Without your strength, I can't hold on to you. But Lord, if you will hold on to me, then I know that my grip can stay firm on you. Lord, many of us are like that man... In the Gospels, who said to you, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, and there are still places of doubt and uncertainty. By your strength and by your power, you are teaching me to trust you and teaching me that you are faithful. And so I thank you. I ask that you would continue to remind us of your great love and your care. And in Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.